This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, yes, Wednesday, July 12th, 2017, and I'm here with a very, very special guest, Elena Stone. Hi, Helena, how are you? Oh, thanks for having me and for calling me special. You are special, not just because you are the editor-in-chief of ChipChick.com and that we work together and I write phone reviews for you, but, you know, I always feel that you have a really fresh take on everything. You know, I'm always, like, nerdy and techy and and not to the point of, like, benchmarks matter to me very much, but more to the, you know, I'm looking at all these little things and you're always like, hey, you know, I really want to feel happy using this device and and all that and i find that you're always have a really cool take on things (laughs) oh you know i I appreciate that um but i think that i i kind of am like a lot of other women where you know i'm making i can't make a general statement but i think a lot of women are more into how a phone or how a mobile device can help them in their life what's the practicality um they're not stuck into the benchmarks they don't really care what processor is inside they don't care about the ram they care about what to do for them. And, right. I, and I think that's probably kind of what you're referring to about my opinion on things. I like that you have a fresh take. I'm just been doing this for so long. And, you know, I have certain areas that I'm really interested in, like audio photography, that it's really hard for me when I write a review to kind of like do it differently than like the formula that I have. So I'm always refreshed. And I think my formula is very similar to a lot of the kind of, uh, it's, you know, the other tech blogs out there, uh, probably because I spent years at Engadget, right? So it's it's uh, it's fresh to see. Hey, well, I, I appreciate your reviews because I still enjoy reading technical and you <laughs> go you go very in depth. So I, I appreciate that, even though I, I also focus on practical. Yeah, I hope I give you enough practical that the, the readers are happy no, to. You definitely do. Cool. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch of phones news this, this week. I want to start with kind of the one I'm the most excited about. We kind of just touched upon uh, as we were preparing for this podcast. And that's the uh, amazing story that uh, David Ruddock at uh, Android Police put up yesterday about the a render of the new Pixel, large Pixel phone, what is this year called the Pixel XL, and well, last year, I should say, and what will hopefully be called or maybe be called the XL2. So what do you think of that? It's like a Galaxy S8 and a Pixel had a baby. <laughs> you know, to That's, me, it's actually more like a G6 and a Pixel baby. No, you're right. Baby. You're right. I mean, mm, but you're you're right. Right. You, I think we're the same idea. Yeah, yeah, the same concept for sure. You're right. It's okay. Can we make it a threesome and throw the G6 in there? <laughs> oh, please. Yes, let's do it. Ooh, <laughs> naughty, naughty, naughty. I like that. No, I mean, I'm excited. You know, I. it's been hard to predict whether this, um, I mean, Everything that's logical, as I wrote in my review when the G6 came out, I was like, to me, this is the future of phones in terms of like this form factor of this ultra wide screen. Once you kind of use it and you're used to this bezel-less, uh, a phone that's small in your hand, but has all this real estate on on screen, you kind of don't want to go back. But it wasn't obvious necessarily that the Pixel would be this kind of form factor Primarily because, you know, for a long time, we thought the Pixel was going to be made by HTC again. But it looks like the rumors are that it, um, Google's partnering with LG again, like they did for the Nexus really? 5, which w- was one of our favorite phones. Uh, at least it was for me. And, you know, 
if that's the case, then they're going to use an LG display. And that render seems to confirm that because we're seeing a, a, a flat, wide, ultra-wide display with rounded corners. And then there's a kind of 3D effect in the glass, but it's not actually a, a rounded display like in the Galaxy S8. Uh, you know, I felt I just hear this and I feel bad for HTC, but that's I guess a side point. <laughs> Poor HTC. Well, I feel bad for them too, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean they did very well with the pixels. But you know, I think water resistance and that display is going to dictate who they're going to go with next. And then logically, the LG, the G6 being water resistant and having that this kind of display makes sense for them to be back in the game. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I heard rumors that when they switch from Huawei for the Nexus 6P to HTC for the XL, that uh, the reason was that they were very happy with Huawei, right? Because Huawei, and Huawei is very happy with the Nexus 6P. Yeah, they killed it too. They did a great job. They killed it, but Huawei wanted their name on the phone. Like they absolutely, that was, that's what killed the deal with the Pixel. Hmm. So um, Huawei probably still wants their name on the phone and LG's like, meh, whatever, you know. Um, we probably have extra um, displays to sell because I'm not sure the G6 is selling that well, sadly. Yeah. But um, but I'm look, I'm super excited. I'm you. You guys all know my my. Yeah, you uh, love your Pixel. Well, I, it's my daily driver, and it's only the reason. The reason for that is I I, I don't know. I it's changed over time, you know, Elena. I think um, it used to be a time when I was willing to change phones as my primary phone throughout the years as reviewing them, but I'm getting lazy in my old age and <laughs> I have enough apps now. On my, you know, I've never been much of an app user, but in my, as, as I'm using more and more apps, it seems, and I'm transferring everything over. is just such a nightmare. And you know, my text message history and everything, and there's, and unlike the iPhone, and this is where I have to say Apple nails it, is yeah. switching phones on Apple is so seamless. You stay logged into your apps. All the settings are preserved. Um, you, um, you know, you your entire text messaging and call history goes over. With Android, it's really hit and miss depending on how it backed up, and you know, sometimes you have to use extra software to back some stuff up. Yeah, and, it's it's much more. Oh, it's a frustrating experience. It's a nightmare. Yeah. So I and I am gonna hear. I can hear some people already on in in my back of my head <laughs> as if they were reading. You know. Comment, either commenting on a on a story. Well, Miriam, why do you do that? Because you know, if you're going to review a phone for Chip Chick for and spend a week with it, you really should be spending a week with it. Because I want to know uh -oh. what. But look, the reality is, I, I really put these phones through their paces. I'm, they might not have my SIM in them, but I use them to call people. I I do everything right. I install all my apps in duplicate. But it's nice to go back to my main phone and not have to worry about like, is there something critical? that I need right now for my business that's missing from this phone because I switched everything over. And so I tend to go a phone a year, and usually because of that, the Pixel and Nexus experience has been it for me. What's What's been your experience with the Pixels and Nexuses over the years? Well, you know, the the, the most... I have, I didn't test the, uh, the, the most recent Pixel, but um, I did, you know, the Nexus 6P. I've, t I've tested that one, and it, it was a great phone. Um, which is why I said Huawei really killed it. Um, but I, other than that, I haven't used that many Google Google branded phones over the years. Do you feel, as somebody who is really attuned to what your you know your readers love and want, and as we were discussing before, putting the the experience before everything else? Do you feel that the Pixels and the Nexuses of the world, and to be frank, the Pixel is a lot of people said, oh, the Pixel's better than the Nexus, but I don't think that's necessarily true. It's just, 
it really is what the the Nexus Seven would have been, basically the Pixel in my eyes. Um, sure, it introduced a new, slightly new uh, launcher and a bunch of other things, but that happens on every new Google phone of the year. Yes, it was more expensive than previous phones. Yes, it has a different name. But what I was trying to get to is, do you feel that experience works for most people? Or do you feel it's just still too, I don't know, nerdy or whatever? I do think there is a, a nerdy connotation with the brand as a whole. Uh, it's in, and it's definitely hasn't really gone better over time. Um, I mean, especially with, with the cost that, you know, that the Google phones have such a hardcore nerdy audience. Um, it's really the, you know, the Android purists that get really excited about it. Um, so I, I definitely would agree that it's, it's still somewhat of a a nerd's phone. Do you think there's room though for the non-nerd to, to to appreciate and or have a good experience on that platform though i mean of course they can have a good experience because it's you know a good phone is still a good phone um and you know the 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 pixel has a great camera it's got a lot going for it so i still think a non-nerd can appreciate the phone i just i haven't seen like excitement for it whereas like you know the galaxy s8 or the new blackberry key one like those are phones that like mainstream get really excited about you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I agree with you, but I'm also surprised. I mean, the Galaxy S8 is a no-brainer to say is, is going to be one of the most popular phones. And it deserves it this year. I think it is a phenomenal phone. Uh, and I'm super skeptical of Samsung, and I'm always critical of them. Uh, because, you know, they they are like the, the king of the roost or whatever, queen of the, the chickens or whatever. And uh, that was funny. Uh but they are not, uh, you know, they're not always listening. I don't feel they're always listening to their customers that well because they have, a, you know, this big hidden agenda as a big company. Um, but that you say the key one as some mainstream appeal is really interesting to me because it's, first of all, really hard to get your hands on. And secondly, you know, um, I, I kind of want to agree with you, but I'm feeling like it's well, become a bit of a nerd paradise phone. Like all the tech reviewers seem to be... You know, when I was at Google I.O., we all had our key ones and we were all like, yeah, that's what I'm rocking right now. And and not just because they had just come out. So like people like Joshua Vergara are genuinely using that as their daily driver, you know? Well, I, I see the, the nerd appeal. Um, I see why nerds are excited about it. But, I, you know, I've been speaking to a lot of women and not not nerdy type women. And they're, when they hear Blackberries back, they're excited. Oh, that's so cool. This, yeah, I, despite the fact that the brand has, you know, has just dived in the past couple of years, people still love BlackBerry. Um, I find that a lot of professional women, um, they're really excited when they hear, what, BlackBerry's back? Is it a good phone? Uh, so I cool. think there's actually a lot of excitement there for it. So what do you think is, is other than the branding and, you know, it's back, do you, th- I, I mean, have, either, even though they haven't necessarily used the phone, they're shopping around. Why are they considering it beyond that? Do you, do you think there are some specific features that appeal to them? Um, I think it's really the keyboard, to be honest. Okay. People still, people still miss the keyboard. And, and they have fond memories of using a BlackBerry with a keyboard. But you see, so that's kind of what I felt too. And when I started using the Key One, and this is very much unlike a lot of the other tech reviewers, I couldn't get used to the hardware keyboard again. I, I appreciated it. And some I, people said to me, you know, one of the things about it is that you can take your time composing things because you're really writing. You're really <laughs> focusing on clicking on each key and you're thinking as you go and it makes you more thoughtful 
And I was like, you know, I agree with all that and I like the experience, but I'm not as efficient and fast and it's frustrating me. So it was the same, same experience for me. I, I got frustrated with it because I felt I was slower using that physical keyboard than, you know, with an on-screen keyboard. So I'm, I'm totally there with you. But, you know, I've, I've, I've had some feedback from, from other women who were like, ooh, I love that. I love the feeling of the keyboard. I miss this. So I guess it's to each their own. No, absolutely. And I totally believe it. I'm just kind of kind of interested in, in your take on that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I was frustrated with it too. Just, it, was, it was easy. The keyboard was comfortable to use. It was easy to use. But, and in the phone overall, it's just really great build quality and over, overall really nice device. The camera's even quite good for its price range. Yeah. It, it, but I, I do agree with that sentiment of like, I'm typing sl- slowlier on this, you know, on this physical keyboard than I would be with a, with an on-screen keyboard. Yeah. I mean, look, I love the key one. Don't get me wrong. If I was stuck with the key one for the next year, I'd be totally happy. There's no problems there. But at the same time, it is, it takes a bit of getting used to. One of the things that to me kind of balances out this, you know, a little harder to type is all the keyboard shortcuts that you can create, you know, hold I and you get to Instagram. You don't need a launcher anymore. It's really kind of refreshing. Yeah, that is actually a very neat thing that, that the, the key one has going for it. Um, so, I, you know, I, we're mixing our topics a bit and that's totally fine. This is what this podcast is all about. It's just t- tangents. And I just want to, you know, kind of catch up the audience on the fact that we wanted to discuss the key one <laughs> and the GSA together. And that, um, you know, this whole around. discussion on the, on the pixel, you really segue into that and that's great. Um, but I want to hear from you since we just touched on that topic and I want to kind of continue with it is what, so what do you hear from women about what is the phone that right now, I mean, obviously the Galaxy S8 is going to be a high, ca- uh, a pretty high up there candidate, but what are the, what are they looking for in a phone? What are you hearing? What is it they're getting from the phones they're using and what are those phones? Well, you know what? The iPhone still reigns king or a right. queen in this case. <laughs> uh, and, you know, women, women really still love the iPhone. And I, 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 I can, you can attribute that to a lot of things. Um, I think that one of the biggest things, though, or one of the major things that makes a woman want the iPhone is all the accessories for it. Right. Like they can dress it however they want in a million different ways. I think that's that's one thing that has real strong appeal for the for the iPhone for for women. Um, and women love to accessorize. Um, but as a whole, I find that iOS is less about tinkering than Android is. And I think that appeals to many women as well, because it's just, it's efficient. And I will, I'm going to get slammed for that, I know, uh, by no. the Android fanboys and fangirls. Um, but at least in my opinion, and, and, and many women that I've spoken to, iOS is just, it's more, um, it's less steps involved for day-to-day yeah. processes. And and that's Android is is more more jumping around, more clicking. It's more of of tinkering involved. You know, and I agree. And it's funny because I'm normally not a big tinker. And you're gonna say, "Oh my god, how can you say that, Miriam?" Well, I'll tell you why. Because I made the switch to Mac. Um, well, first of all, let's rewind. I've been around for a while so with computers and. When I, uh, you know, I could never afford a Mac back in the day and I kind of coveted it and I used them and I liked it, but um, I have to say they weren't quite as flexible to me and exciting to me as PCs back in the 90s. 
Um, but with the 2000s, uh, I've also been a long-time Unix and Linux user uh, professionally. Um, so to me, uh, the appeal was when OS X came out, the the shiny, shiny, sexy Apple hardware with a Unix-based OS uh, with some of those nice things that I liked about the older version of Mac OS really kind of pulled me in. And I, I made the switch from PC primary Windows to primary OS X or Mac OS today. And and I don't regret it. I'm still a hardcore Mac user. And somehow that works for me. Like, I feel that there's enough I can tweak and tinker to really get productive. Like, I can run scripts. I can go in the command line and do stuff I need to do. But I feel that it's a really well-curated experience in terms of the ecosystem and the hardware and the software integration and all that. But I've never been able to get into iOS. I've tried numerous times and I feel too boxed in. I feel like I'm being walked and my hand is being held down this corridor and I can't turn left and right when I want to <laughs> turn left or right. But at the same time, this going forward and being held hand a handheld is not a bad experience. Like I'm happy being guided down this corridor, but I feel like I'm missing something. And although it's everything is shiny and beautiful and pink and, and there's glitter and unicorns, mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, like I, I, I want to turn left now. Like, can I, I know it's dark and evil over there, but I want to go peek. And, uh. and it's like, I can't do that with iOS and it frustrates me to no end. And it's, so it's not because of Android. Like, I'm not the person who installs ROMs on their phones. I'm not the person who changes their launcher and tweaks things. Like, I don't care about any of that. I just want a really productive phone. And for me, Sam, like, not Samsung, but Android is that. I mean, I, I, and that's probably why I use a Pixel and a Nexus, because it's the closest vision to what it should be from the people who make it. It's, it's you know... It's interesting to hear that you you like one Apple operating system and you can't stand the other, <laughs> or, or not to say right? can't stand, but um, it makes sense because I think you are a tinkerer and in the Mac O, even if you're saying you're not a big tinkerer, the Mac OS really is great for tinkering, right? Um, so in that respect, it satisfies, you know, satisfies your needs. Yeah. Um, but it's like you said, for iOS, it's just not enough for you because iOS is very different than mac os in that respect that's so much more locked in um but that's that's what, one of the reasons i like ios because i don't have to think yeah um it's it's i'm i'm not i'm not worrying about malware uh you know it, everything's taken care of um for me and it, it, i i enjoy reviewing phones and testing them thoroughly when they're running android um but i do really appreciate that ex the, ex the locked in experience of ios interesting you know and that's i think my biggest struggle is I, I, I think there's another thing, and, and I was talking about this with who, who was it? Somebody yesterday at a con. I was at a an, an IoT conference here in town yesterday, and NSF, and I was like talking to some other nerd about this. And to me, it's also the fact that I'm stuck with the same phone for so long on Apple. I mean, it's a good thing for most people, and you're gonna say I could just buy the new iPhone every year, and that's totally valid. But I feel it feels to me like since the six, it's the same phone, right? I it mean, is. It, it is. looks the same. It feels the same. It just gets better. It's faster. It's nicer. Uh, in some ways, it's worse because there's no headphone jack. That's a really big problem for me. But, but anyway, that's my issue. Um, but with Android, I feel like you know every three months it's like a party. I'm like, <laughs> oh, look at that! Like this phone is modular. 
Um, or this, and, and sometimes it's like, oh, look at that, what a terrible disaster. But it's kind of fun. Schadenfreude is, inter- is entertaining, right? But at the same time, I feel like I get some uh, really interesting variety out of it that, um, and it used to be the jungle. It used to be that that variety was the downfall of Android because the experience sucked. I, I admit that it did. And because it was scattered and it wasn't maintained and, and all that. But I feel that's changed so radically in the last few years. Apple has kind of forced the Android ecosystem to, to you know, up their game so much. And, and, and Google's made it possible with a good version of Android. And Samsung is even on board now. Starting with Galaxy S6, we finally have metal phones from the flagship the biggest seller in the world. And to me, that was a huge thing. Like I was riding their asses when I was at Engadget from the Galaxy S3 onward. I was like, guys, like you, you have the power to make these phones gorgeous, yet you're choosing to make these ugly plastic crap phones. What is wrong with you? And they've finally resolved that. But more importantly, I felt that with the Galaxy S8, it's a pivotal point for me for Samsung because they finally gave us a user experience out of the box that I could live with without having to tweak anything. And I wrote that in my review. And, and I want to know how you feel because I know you use the Galaxy S8. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I agree with everything you're, you said. They finally cleaned up their act, so to speak, with the UI. Um, and it's, it's much it's really taken the Galaxy series to the next level. I mean, the the design is also, but the user interface is so much more, uh, it's so much cleaner and so much easier to use than it was previously. It's like, I, I think people are losing patience, especially reviewers, they're losing patience for gimmicks in yeah. software, right? Like, no, no, no one no one needs all this extra stuff. I mean, remember when the Galaxy, I don't remember if it was the Galaxy 3 or 2, when you could, like, they added um, eye control, <laughs> oh my god, I remember that. Oh. I mean, it's it's just it's been, you know, one gimmick after another and LG also made that mistake um with the LG G5. Yeah. Um and I think co- the, the manufacturers are starting to realize keep things simple and efficient and people will come. Yeah, and I've said that to them like in in literally in big meetings when I was when they still listen to me more than they do now and I said to them to these execs I said, "Guys, look, you you don't understand. You say you can't differentiate on hardware. I completely disagree. You can. Just just focus on like get your user experience to be awesome and they will come. And then you, you don't want to be Apple. I get it. Then make the hardware absolutely outstanding. And look at the Galaxy S8. It is absolutely outstanding. It's not just technically outstanding, but it's cosmetically and aesthetically outstanding. Arguably, some people might still find it maybe too nerdy looking, but I don't think so. I really think that they nailed it this time. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only problem with the Galaxy S8 is how easy it is to break it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's actually common of a lot of these phones. I mean, the G6 is glass front and back too. Um, but to me, the other issue, obviously, I have and. With, if I'm going to be nitpicking, it's the position of the fingerprint reader and the fact that the retinal scan does not work at all for me because I wear right. glasses. So, I, I well, I for retinal scanner aside, I agree that the the fingerprint scanner was not in an optimal place. I, I much, I, I really that that was one thing that I. It's like, oh, they were so close. <laughs> I think it was tacked on. To be honest with you, I think they they were hoping to get the fingerprint scanner under the display working. Um, which we're rumored to hear might happen with the iPhone, the the special millennial edition iPhone, <laughs> and rumored to maybe even happen on the Ga- on Galaxy Note 8. 
Um, I really want, and, and you know, there was a Qualcomm announcement recently of a sensor that does that. It's using ultrasound. Um, and, and to me, I don't think the Qualcomm sensor is going to be ready for another year for production, but, but that's the future. I really think that, uh, having a fingerprint reader kind of concealed in an area that you, you kind of maybe have a little, if it's in the back, there's maybe like a little recess so you know where it is. But it's it's integrated seamlessly in the phone. I think that's the thing right now. They're all separate, right? Like, you, you know, on the on they're all little plastic squares in the middle of a sea of glass, right? So I think that's probably what they were going for, but they couldn't pull it off. Hmm. You, let's speak about that. Actually, what do you think of these rumors of the iPhone, the the Millennium Edition, the thousand dollar plus the, rumor? Well, yeah. Look, actually, I don't think that's a bad. Uh, well, it's a bad thing for some people, price wise. Obviously, but I'm. I don't think it's. I don't think that rumor is is crazy. I think it's uh, correct. Yeah, I think that I don't think it's crazy either. I mean, if you get an iPhone nowadays unlocked with you know the maximum storage available, it costs thousand dollars, right? So, yeah. or I mean, it, it an iPhone Seven Plus, I'm pretty sure, can cost over a thousand dollars, depending on capacity. So, I it it probably is true. Um, my only hope is that they have options and that they have a more affordable option as well. Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting. Um, I'm rarely in agreement with with Gruber at Daring Fireball. Uh, I don't know if you guys know John Gruber. He's a bit of a uh, an interesting character, and more importantly, he's he's like me, a bit of a curmudgeon and a bit old school. But he's a huge Mac fanboy, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think he's a very interesting guy and a very smart guy. But he wrote a really good article and in his blog about why he thinks these rumors are true. And I agree with everything he writes. It's a supply and demand uh, parts availability issue. It's clear to me that Apple's going to make three phones, the S uh, plus, sorry, the S, uh, the seven S seven S plus, and then this flagship app. Some some people call it the iPhone pro uh, iPhone edition iPhone, you know, just iPhone eight, maybe I don't. I don't think it's gonna be eight. iPhone Pro, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Pro or edition, um, and it's going to be very limited supply, simply because it's going to have a an edge to edge white ultra wide screen display uh, that's OLED, made by Samsung probably, um, and you know they can price it whatever they want because they're Apple. I, I think it's going to be interesting though to see how the public's going to react to that because I think, you know. We might all, it might be like the Halo phone, right? Like like in the car world, you know, uh, Audi, for example, is a good example of a company who makes a bunch of cars that are, you know, they're all kind of considered luxury cars, but some of them are pretty affordable, like the, the S3, sorry, the A3 series of cars, um, in the sense that, you know, they cost a little more than the average. And then, you know, they go all the way to like these R8, which is like their crazy two-seater sport car. Uh, monster and nobody can really afford the R8. Most people, it's just like they can look up to it and say, "Oh, one day I want to afford this." And I think that you know, um, maybe that's where kind of Apple is going. And they're, and I think they're doing it primarily because they can't get the parts. I mean, remember, like Apple's production numbers are so high that getting getting the parts, as I said, is is like for them, it's millions of parts. It's it's really hard to get that many parts um, when uh, you know production is constrained, right? And that's why I think we're going to see two more affordable iPhones that continue the formula that we're used to. And that's the majority of people's iPhone. And then those of us who are willing to wait and or pay a lot more are going to 
you know, opt for the pro. And, you know, maybe a year or two down the road, that pro will be commonly available. But I think at the beginning is going to be a tough one. What do you think? All I, 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 I agree with you. I think it's probably true. Um, and Apple's probably going to get ripped a new one <laughs> when they do it. Um, but I, I, I think it's going to happen. And I, I mean, I'm personally excited to see what they can really offer um, in, on a premium level or a more premium level than the, what they already have, which is quite premium. I am actually ready to give iOS another try if they make this phone and pay for it and buy one. And the reason for that is because I do believe that they make really wonderful hardware. It's just that lately I don't feel that their hardware has been competitive. Agreed. And and the Galaxy S8 is probably the best, the most compelling combination of specs and hardware design right now and phones. But but if they can outdo that, then they'll have my respect. And I'm seeing some features in iOS 11, at least on the iPad, that yeah. uh, are really compelling, like a file system or access to your files locally on your device, which to me is a, one of the big sticking points of iOS. If that actually translates over to the phone, which is not a guarantee, as you know, um, there's a difference between the iPad iOS and the iPhone iOS somewhat. Uh, and some of the multitasking I'm seeing, like the multi-window stuff that is very similar to when Windows 8 did uh, on iOS 11, I might actually give it another try. But I'm still going to be really annoyed that I'm stuck with the same... De- if if they don't... They're not going to update the design for a long time, like two or three years and at least. And we're going to be get better innards of the same phone for another two or three years. And that's going to just rub me the wrong way. I know it. Well... You know, if I was Apple, and maybe I, I'm not sure if the, any of the rumors have this, I would throw a pen onto that iPhone Pro, and well, that would wipe the floor for Samsung. Yeah, because it would it would kill it would kill the need for the Note, right? Yeah, I, I think and, they should put it as a. I'm not convinced that it should be included, though. Like, I think it should be have the the digitizer and the screen, and then you just buy the pen separately. I'm I'm fine with that. That makes that seems sensible. Because Apple will never have a silo for a pen in their device. It takes up too much space, and they don't want to compromise a pen by making it too small. And they already have one pen, right? right. And it's big, but you throw that in your bag, you forget about it, and off you go, right? Yeah, that it's actually pretty practical. So you are using the pen. Are you an iPad user? Um, I am an iPad user, but no, I'm not using the pen. Uh, <laughs> I I have a very old iPad right now. But I, I've played with it, and it's it's really great. I mean, if you're someone who draws or, or likes to take handwritten notes, it's it's a really great experience. I love this um, the way this podcast has evolved from the Pixel to the <laughs> we, iPad. We, we ran is, far away from our original topic. No, My fantastic. bad. No, no, I love it. This is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but anyway, let's let's regroup and go back to the Pixel real quickly. And I'm excited about what I'm seeing. Uh, the, the design looks great. If it's indeed the real thing, I trust David. He's an awesome guy. David is like also such a curmudgeon and I love it so much. Would you <laughs> well, not I, agree? I, I don't, I don't know David, so I can't make a comment, oh, but, he, but he, he sounds, he, he sounds awesome. <laughs> he, he is, he is a cranky old curmudgeon like me. That's what I love about him. Um, but he also has some really good insights and, uh, if you didn't catch it, and this is not for you, Elena, but for the listeners, there is, a, there is a really good story recently that he wrote about why you probably shouldn't buy a Pixel right now. I mean, it was a couple of months ago now, but so it's probably, it probably more true than ever now that we're getting closer to another Pixel. But um, it's basically the dilemma of the Pixel is still probably the best Android experience on the market today, but it's being 
completely obliterated by the hardware that we're seeing in the in the competition, like the Galaxy S8 and the G6. And so until, you know, basically stay put till the Pixel 2. And now that I'm seeing this, I'm like, uh, definitely stay put till whatever the next Pixel is called because it's going to be tremendous. In the meantime, what you can do, this is me segueing, is buy a, um, to hold you over, buy a, one of the great Moto phones that I want to discuss because Moto is killing it this year. I mean, they've, they've done pretty good job in the last few years, but they never really kind of, stood out too much and i don't know if they are standing out but they're they have you know they have an just just to go over quickly for those of you who don't know the moto line looks like this you get the e at the economy level like entry level essentially well not entry level i'm I'm talking about entry level for the western markets like not entry level for the developing markets right you get the e series then you get the g series and then you've got the z series and it used to be the x before but now it's the z series z if you're canadian like I am, but I, I I had I had um I had Rose Behar on the show last time uh, last week Elena and as a Canadian she was correcting my Z which was great because <laughs> I'm I'm a Canadian I should know but I've been in the US you for so long better. I I say Z so the Moto Z series um in itself has a variation of levels basically there is you know there's a, is like there's a play version and a regular version a force version at least last year. And the play is kind of like the mid-ranger of the Zs and then the, of the Zs. And then the force is, I wouldn't say the high-end version, but the force is kind of like the, the heavy, heavy-duty rugged version of the Moto Z series. And it had slightly better specs, but mostly uh, it was, um, had this unbreakable screen that we've seen on some previous droid phones. And it had, um, you know, anyway, the, and a better camera, I think that's what. So the Z Play for this year the the mid ranger is out and I have it and I talked about it last week and we talk we can talk about it a little more the the G's and E's are out for this year and they're pretty awesome there's a G five and G five plus there's an E four and E four plus and then um, we're waiting for the Z and Z force of this generation second generation of the Z and those are supposedly going to be shown on the twenty fifth of July in New York City which you'll probably be at so I want to know, what is your take on the Moto ecosystem? I know you have a pretty good uh, your relationship with Lenovo on the laptop side of things. Tell me a little bit what you think of the Moto phones. Well, I, th- you know, I think even talking between the Z series, like their Z series versus the E and G series are very different, right? So um, I think they've done a great job killing it with the budget phones. I right. mean, it's amazing. The Moto E for the money, it really does a lot. It's it's incredible. It's almost a disposable smartphone. I know, and it's not a bad one, which is kind of like insane. It's like a seventy dollar phone that you kind of be like, yeah, I could live with this. It's fine. Yeah, if I had to use it for two weeks, I wouldn't be miserable. And exactly. I think that that says a lot. Um, the the Moto Z, on the other hand, um, I mean, it's 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 a it's it's one of those phones that I think does better justice when you're holding it and yeah. when you see it uh, in a photo um, because it's just so thin and svelte and um, the back covers are really nice, but it's, it's, it doesn't, I don't feel like the photos really do it justice and that's a shame. Yeah. Um, but overall it's a really well-rounded, great device. Um, I, I, I've, you know, I've tested the original Moto Z, the, the mods. Um, I have mixed feelings about the mods. 
Um, but overall, they were all solid mods that worked very well. I just had mixed feelings about the concept in general. It's um, the cost, I think, that's hard for me. It's like, I get it. I think it's cool. And by the way, the Zs this year will use the exact same mods. So oh, they'll wow. have exactly the same form factor. Like that's the great. Z2 Play that I have works with all my last year's mods. And they give me some new mods for this year. It's like mod party in my house right now. But um, that's really cool to me. It's, but you're absolutely right. It's, um, it's, tough. it's tough to sell the mods. So what, what do you think? How do, do they market the mods? Well, I mean, they... They have been marketing it, and I I, I, I don't know. I can't comment on how well they've been doing because I have no idea. Um, but I, I guess the fact that they kept the next generation phone to fit those mods that that feels reassuring. Um, but I mean, I don't know what else they can do to mar- market it other than what they've been doing. They've had clever commercials and clever ads. Um, it's just it's like you said, the cost. It's like okay, like for example, their Hasselblad camera mod um you know i for me i i just want a really good camera in the phone i don't want to spend three hundred dollars to to buy an additional thing to attach to it to the phone yeah and it wasn't that great for those people who would be into photography anyway so it wasn't like particularly convincing as a mod for its price i mean hasselblad it's a great reputation but this product was basically just your, your average chinese point and shoot camera grafted onto a back that was a mod yeah, it, it it the three hundred dollar price tag wasn't justified. It was, and again, like if I'm going to spend three hundred dollars, or I think any consumer is, it's got to be like, damn, your camera quality just jumped. <laughs> it's yeah. got to be significant to justify that cost, even for a professional photographer. Exactly, and I do feel that with the speaker mod, it's phenomenal. The JBL, this particular this year's new JBL speaker, is even better than last year's sound wise. But the the question I always have in the back of my head every time I use it is like, I can only use this with the Z phones. And a Bluetooth speaker costs about the same. And I bet you JBL makes just as good of a Bluetooth speaker that would work just as well with, but it, with all my phones. And more importantly, my phone wouldn't be stuck to it when I'm using it and I could have it in my pocket, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it's a tough sell to me, even though it's a great example of what a mod could be. Yeah. yeah. And J- I mean, JBL, they, I mean, they know their audio, right? Yeah. So, um, they, one thing that Motorola did really well was they partnered with great partners for the mods. Uh, I mean, they have JBL, um, they partnered, I believe with Incipio for the battery packs. So th- they, they really chose carefully to not just, you know, they're making, they're, they're using quality companies for those accessories. Exactly. So I think I'm torn on the mods. I think it's a great idea. I'm glad they're sticking with it. They're trying. Um, I think we haven't seen the killer mod yet is basically what it is. Obviously, the battery packs are pretty much a killer mod. but And they're getting better. This this year's um, battery pack that they sent us is called the Turbo Power Pack or whatever. And it charges as fast. Like it uses the Turbo Power charging for charging the pack. And when it supplies power to the phone it uses turbocharging as well to charge the phone so it's a su- basically super fast charge on both the pack the phone and pack to phone right um and that to me is uh is a nice improvement and the the capacity of the current batteries uh last year's batteries are like 2000 or so milliamp hours on those external packs but this one is 3000 and you put that on a moto z and you instantly like have almost like 5 day battery life on any moto z 
Yeah, it's crazy. That's great. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, I I've, that's unheard of pretty much on any other device as far yeah. as I know. I mean, if you think about it, the, the, the Z2 Play, the new Z uh, mid-ranger that I got that just came out a month ago, it's 3,000. It's a bit less than last year's. But if you add that pack, you now have 6,000 milliamp hours. I mean, it's like yeah. laptop size. Pretty battery. much. Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, that's a big battery pack. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And it only adds like four millimeters to the phone. doubles the thickness of the phone, basically. It's a very thin phone. It's six millimeters, I think. So overall, you get a centimeter thick phone that will last you four days or five days easily. Uh, not bad at all, right? Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, so those are things that I think the Motomods do well. But you're right, the camera, the projector is a bit of a gimmick, even though it's cool. I don't have it, though, so I can't really speak to it. Uh, and then the I um, haven't tested the projector either. And then what do I have? I have the uh, I have the JBL, so I have both both the old one, and the new one. Um, yeah, the mod stuff. I think it's cool. I, I'm hearing lots of good things about the Moto Z's this year. Is uh, they're trying to make last year the the Z the main Z was super thin, and then the other two Z's were a little thicker and had bigger batteries. And this year, I think they're trying to thin them out. The Z Play Second Edition is is a little thinner and loses a bit of battery life, but this chipset's more efficient. So you almost in the same territory, but you get a, a slimmer phone uh, this year and a better camera and a bunch of other things. The um, there, there's rumors that the Z Force will be significantly thinner this year. Last year it was pretty thick because it had a big battery and that uh, very shadowproof display. I think the shadowproof display is going to stay, but the uh, what we're looking at is renders have kind of appeared, and and the rumor and the the renders seem to confirm that is dual camera system in the back, which would probably be Moto's first dual camera system that I'm aware of. Uh, there probably is some Lenovo phone with dual camera, but I'm not sold here. And then there is headphone jack supposed to come back. Uh, last year's Z and Z Force did not have headphone jack, but last year's Z that's Play good. did. That's Yeah, that, I'm glad that they're bringing it back. Me too, but I think they learned their lesson. You know, like, clearly, I think, I, I, I hate to say this because, you know, I'm a bit of a Samsung hater, but I shouldn't say that, actually, because after reviewing the Galaxy S8, I love the Samsung Galaxy S8. But, you know, the fact that Samsung did not drop the headphone jack it really, you know, was a major step in, to me, in kind of actually, if you are if you are a smaller manufacturer and you're considering to drop the headphone jack after Samsung hasn't this year, you know, if they had this year, then you'd be like, okay, I'm justified to do that now. I can get away with it. But they didn't. And that means that in the Android world, dropping the headphone jack is still a major no-no. Uh, witness my review of the U11, where I think that was the only major fault on that phone. And I don't know what HTC is doing that. They're really silly. But hey. The, the HTC has, I don't know, I think they're suffering from a bit of an identity crisis. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was a good phone for when I played with it, but it just, it, it, the, the, it seems like they're, they're trying to reinvent themselves, right? Um, every that, year, though. Yeah. I mean, every, it's kind of yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Every year, like you said. It's... Um, you know, the HTC 10 was a great phone, but it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't do enough. So I guess that's, you know, the U11 was an attempt at like, we'll be dynamic, we'll be bold. Um, but I, I don't, it didn't seem to, I don't think it's really, it's really gotten much anywhere for them, unfortunately. And, and it won't. And it's like the G6, to me, the G6 is an unsang hero of a phone. And, and it's, there's no way it's going to become popular. Like Samsung's going to eat their lunch. As they always do, because those two big Korean companies are duking it out, right? At least 
um, in their in their own market. Um, I feel the same way about you as the U11. I, I'll be honest with you. I think the U11 is an absolutely phenomenal phone. If it if it if we didn't have the Galaxy S8 and the Pixel and the G6 and the iPhone, that phone would be absolute baller. Um, it it it's probably the best camera phone on the market today. To be honest with you, um, and but it doesn't have headphone jack, and the squeeze thing is a gimmick, and it's super shiny and a fingerprint magnet, but it's also super sexy. So it's like, where, like, you're right. Like, where is that identity? Where is it going? What is really the thing that's holding it together? Well made, yeah. Um, good specs, yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, good user experience, definitely. But, you know, it still kind of seems to be in the background somewhere. And that's, I think, the thing about HTC. I don't think they can come back from the background shadows. Yeah. Yeah, I... I it's, it is it is interesting to me that, like, you know, companies like this are still hanging on. Um, but in general, this whole this whole industry, it's, it's too competitive. I mean, there's <laughs> only room for so many. I know. Uh, I, I, I don't get how there still are that many manufacturers in 2017 for Android phones. It just doesn't feel like there's enough demand for it. You're right. But I'm at the same time very grateful because I like to have something new and shiny every three <laughs> months. So. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's true. It's, it, it's a really tough, it's a tough place to be. Don't, don't make a phone if you, want to, uh, if you want to stay in business, I guess, is the, the takeaway. Uh, I mean, you know, even small companies that have come uh, or tried to come to market have either failed completely or have been absorbed by other companies. Like, Nextbit did a really cool little phone there that they crowdfunded, and then they got bought by Razer, and that was a good outcome for everyone, I think. Um, but we're not going to see another Nextbit phone, right? That's it; it's done. Um, who else is? I think that's probably the only story I can think of that's been a success story on this front. Uh, remember Sega's that never came out. Which which one uh, was that? S A Y. GUS, I think it was a phone that was promised year in, year out from CS 2010 onward, maybe CS 2012. I don't know. It's been years and it was years in the making. It was super flagship phone that we all lasted after and never, they went out of business before they even made anything real. So I, I don't remember them, but I guess that's the point. Yeah, that's my point. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, speaking of low volume phones, um, the uh, essential phone, Andy Rubin's little venture, um, hasn't shipped yet. And when they launched it in May, it was going to ship within 30 days. It's mid-July. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, they have resources, guys. This is not like Sega's, who was kind of a fly-by-night kind of company. This is not like Nextbit, who also was a bunch of ex-Googlers, but they probably didn't have quite the capital that Andy Rubin can can summon because the guy is kind of legendary in the valley. So yeah, they're not out. And then, and this is going to segue into one of our topics on the list is the uh, red phone, the red hydrogen one, which was announced this week. It, it, everybody scratched their heads, right? Like why does red want to make a phone and, yeah. <laughs> and an expensive one at that? Like all the, well, their cameras are really expensive. Um, What do you think of that? Like, well, okay, so there's two, there's two things that come to mind when I look at this phone. The hologram and the fact that it can make holograms, I'm like, gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, so that's like the first first red flag. Um, but 
if their optics are really, really great, then good for them for making that phone. Then maybe it's something that professional photographers and videographers are going to want to use. But if they're just throwing their, their brand name on another phone, just another Android phone, um, kind of like how Leica, you know, has their optics yeah. and Hasselblad and, and all these different guys are just throwing their, their name on phone cameras, then that sucks and they shouldn't have bothered. <laughs> I feel the same way. I like the way you said, that sucks. Damn them. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, look, I think there's a little more to the story and that's some fact that Red, and, and I want to fill in the listeners in case you don't know who Red is. Red makes cinema cameras, cameras for film uh, and video that are, they came out of nowhere, a bunch of Hollywood, uh, backed by a bunch of Hollywood money and they came out with the, the Foveon sensor, which is a a, a camera sensor essentially that, kind of just redefined what could be done at a certain price point, especially with low light and super high resolution, like 8K, 9K, 10K. And they came out of nowhere and are probably the number one supplier of cameras now to really high-end uh, digital movie um, studios and and to, you know, even like Marquez Brownlee uh, is using that for recording YouTube videos. So, I mean... You have to have a lot of money because they're expensive cameras, but in the scheme of cinema cameras, they're not that expensive. So there's there's that. And then the other thing is everything's modular. Everything they make is modular. So you kind of have the sensor basically in a box, and then you can add to it like processing units and battery packs and viewfinders and displays and and grips and lenses and le and not just lenses. You start with a lens mount that lets you use lenses from other cameras and you have a choice of which other lens ecosystem you want to go with. Do you want to go with Canon? Do you want to go with Nikon? Do you want to go with Sony? It's insanely modular. And so, you know, I think there's a story on The Verge you need to read because there's a whole bunch of patents that come along with this red phone announcement that are interesting because it puts that phone as kind of like the core device in a camera. Which to me is weird because I don't, you know, unlike you, Elena, I don't think the phone itself has a great camera. I think the phone probably has a competitive camera for a phone. But I think the phone is meant to be the brain of a camera system with an ob with a probably the sensor that's a separate unit that's like a cinema quality sensor like an expensive sensor that's like 10 megapixels or something and then you build a camera on it but then your phone is buried in this camera right <laughs> so like I don't get it yeah unless they have a way to quick snap the phone on and off anyway it's weird the only thing i can think of it it gives them lt connectivity obviously okay so, so, and there's that. I mean, remember so, Samsung had an, a, a camera that had LTE connectivity. Yeah, the Galaxy camera. Yeah. It was and pretty it, awesome, actually. Yeah, it was a great camera. So I think maybe that's what they're going for. Maybe they're like saying, now you can have a device that's both the, the viewfinder, like the display, the processing unit, and the LTE connectivity, which they, they don't offer right now for RED cameras. Um that you can bury into a red camera modular system. And then it maybe has a quick release and you can remove when you're done shooting, you put it in your pocket and it's your phone. Ah, there might be a market of like five people in the world for that. But hey, <laughs> you know, if you're charging, what is it? I think 1200 for the regular model, 1500 for one made out of titanium. Uh, the other one's aluminum. 
Um, that's okay. I mean, you have to understand red cameras, you know, put together a red camera without the lenses and you're in the ten to $20,000 range, right? So these are not unheard of prices for a very niche market. My big question is, you know, and I think everybody's big question is like, what's the play here? And more importantly, um, is it, you know, is it, uh, is it going to be worth it? Like, is, is, is this something that we, we, we want, we want to care about in the long run or not? Right. It'll be interesting to see. Well, you know, and I'm, I'm jumping a little bit off topic, but they're not the only company that kind of did an unexpected announcement this week. Also, uh, Louis Vuitton with their uh, Android Wear watch. Oh, yeah, that's right. I also, Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I, w- I was just kind of like, really? Wasn't expecting that one. So um, it's interesting seeing these brands trying to like jump in on mobile devices. Yeah, and I, I think it just shows how this is becoming a part of our lives no matter what, right? I mean, like, I don't think smartwatches are ever going to be more than a niche. But at the same time, those of us who use them, I do, we love them. And I, I mean, you know, I, I'm a little annoyed that wearables are getting such a focus on, you know, are becoming primarily devices around fitness because I'm not a particularly, you know, um, you know i would say i wouldn't say i'm not fit because i'm actually pretty healthy but i'm not the most fitness obsessed person in the world and for me i want to wear my wearables for primarily primarily my watches to tell the time and to remind me of things uh very limited notifications but i love the fitness aspects i just don't want a fitness watch and i feel that like the gen 2 of the huawei watch is clearly a fitness watch um, and a lot of the Gen 2 uh, Android Wear 2 watches are fitness-focused, and it drives me nuts because I'm like, I want to wear something pretty. You know, like, that's why I like the yeah. Withings watch when it came out, you know, because it's like, it's pretty, it's small. Yeah, um, I, 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 to- I, you know, I think that, actually, it's funny you should say that because I think so many tech reviewers love the Withings watch. Um, it's a good watch. And I totally agree with you. Like, I don't want to wear, like, a timepiece is, is fashion, right? You don't want to be wearing something that looks like an overly nerdy, geeky, right? You want things that look like a watch. Exactly. Um, and I think some manufacturers are getting better at it, um, but it's still a struggle. And it hasn't, it, like, it feels like the, the wearable industry has really stalled. Um, it has. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, part of the reason I joined Pebble and worked at them for a while is that I felt that they had that vision of making you know, like the swatch of the smartwatch world, right? You're just going to make a watch and it's a watch and, oh, it happens to be a smartwatch. And that was kind of like the whole thing. And that's gone now. Nobody's trying to do that. Nobody. I don't understand why. And and Withings or Nokia now, because they bought a, they got bought by Nokia, is the only ones I think that are coming close. Well, uh, sorry, I mean, on. I would say Fossil. If, um, I don't know if you're familiar with what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, but... no, Fossil for sure. But they, I don't feel the user experience is quite there, though. Well, they're, they're definitely, um, I mean, they're using Android Wear and then they're using their own like proprietary um, system, but I will give them credit. I mean, they have all these different brands from different designers that they're actually, and they're the, actually, the, it's, it's, you know, the Fossil, Fossil's the company behind those brands. So whether it's um, uh, Diesel and uh, I can't, I can't remember the other guys, but they're actually, you know, they're really putting an effort into making fashionable wearables yeah. for the mainstream. Um, and I think that they've so far have been really successful about at it. Maybe I should check out one of their Android Wear watches then. Yeah, I mean, you know, their Android. I only Wear, know them from the old days, you know. Well, their Android Wear watches. I think they're up to their second or third generation at this point. Um, and it's not dissimilar to like something like the Moto three hundred and sixty. The thing is, the Moto three hundred and sixty is pretty much dead. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a good one. I'm still wearing a Huawei Watch uh, first edition uh, because I feel it's uh, it's a bit bulky, but I have big wrists, so it works for me. But more importantly, it doesn't look like a sports watch. It just looks like a nice dress watch. It's a bit big, but it's still nice. And yeah, the Huawei watch was a really big watch that I, I couldn't <laughs> pull it off. <laughs> you can pull it off. No, no, I, I think the, uh, the LG's cheaper watch this year is is pretty cool, I think. But it, it's, it's kind of sad that they put only the features that I'm interested in, like Android Pay and the big sporty watch, which, because I was a big fan of the LG Watch Urbane when it came out. Again, a big watch, but I have big wrists because it just looked like a dress watch and it wasn't trying to be a sports watch or a fitness tracker or whatever it is, you know? Sure. Yeah. And the Moto 360, I think, especially the small one, I have the small one, I think is about the, the, the best small Android Wear watch we ever had. Of the second gen one. I loved know? the Moto 360 second generation. I absolutely loved it. Um, my biggest issue though with with it, and I wore it almost every day, I liked it better than the Apple Watch, um, was that it had issues with connecting with Apple devices, um, with iPhones. Um, ah. the, the connection would frequently cut out and then I'd have to repair and sometimes I'd have to hard reset the device. Oh no. Um, and I mean... That's really the only reason why I stopped watching it. I watching it, excuse me, wearing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved that watch, and it was interesting because I was wearing I was wearing the Moto three hundred and sixty like a year after it came out, and other tech bloggers would see me and be like, "What watch is that? It's really nice." And I'm like, "It's the <laughs> exactly. Moto three hundred and sixty. Yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah, we how quickly we forget. Our brains are very short. Uh, have very short uh, memories when it comes to tech. Tech bloggers were all kind of. Shiny all the time, right? Exactly. New and shiny all the time. Um, cool. Uh, well, I want to kind of talk about, I think we talked about everything. I want to talk about one more thing that's a mobile device technically because it's a car. It's the Model 3 from Tesla. Their smaller, more affordable uh, electric sedan is finally gone into production last week. And the only thing I'm, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it's like pretty impressive that they pulled this off because you have to understand the first two teslas well this this is technically the fourth because it was the roadster first but the model s which is their very popular big car and the model x which is their suv were delayed quite a bit especially the suv for i think the suv is two years late which is pretty amazing right um and so when they announced that they were making the model 3 and it was going to come out in the summer of 2017 a lot of us that are kind of uh, electric car nerds were rolling our eyes going, yeah, right, Elon. Sure, you'll come out in the summer of 2017. And they pulled it off. I mean, they've only made 30 of them so far. It's not like, you know, it's kind of friends and family are going to get their first ones. This There's supposedly a big event on the 27th or 28th here in Fremont in California. It's interesting to me, though, that they pulled it off. So what what do you think? I mean, have you driven a Tesla before? Uh, I I haven't. Um, I've I've seen one from the outside. Um, I I think it's exciting. It's 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 overdue, but um, I I'm I'm excited to see Teslas actually on the street. And I think yeah. we're finally almost there because I mean it's been so much hype for so many years, and finally, finally, maybe we'll start seeing them out there. Yeah, I think I think it's going to take a while for them to ramp up production to a place where they can be competitive and sell a lot of cars every month. But it's the beginning, and let's see how it goes. And I mean, you know, right now there is a Chevy Bolt. If you want to buy an electric car, which with is a good great range, car, that's, 
I have, yeah, so, I have driven in the Chevy Volt, and, and they've they've really d- done a good job with that. But I the, agree. But the I Chevy dr- Volt is more of a like millennial urban environment. You know, it, yeah, it's a different type of vehicle. The the Tesla seems more of an I don't want to say adult, but grown it up. Seems mature. Yeah, grown up. Yeah, yeah. Vehicle. I think I think I agree hundred percent. I've driven the Chevy Volt, and I've driven the t- Tesla, not the SUV, but I've driven the Model S many times. Uh, I was actually the first tech journalist to drive one. Yeah, that was the first tech journalist to drive one. Um, because before they gave the, you know, not the first journalist because automotive journalists got to it before me. But back in the day of the Model S launch, which was the 2012, uh, they invited of all the tech blogs, they only invited Engadget to to the uh, event, and I was really excited to be able to be there and drive it. And I was blown away. That was like the first time that I was like, I want an electric car real bad. Um, and I'm a car enthusiast. Like I, I drive a Porsche. So like, I like cars. I'm crazy, but I'm, so I'm definitely not like the mainstream customer at the same time. Um, I can't afford, like I have, my Porsche is old and not very expensive, but uh, I can't really afford buying a Model S. So the Model 3 is what I'm interested in. And I actually put a deposit um, and so I'm looking forward to it. So I have a, That's super you know, exciting. I, I want to be disclosure here. I put a deposit in, but it doesn't mean that, you know, I, so I wish them well. I drove them the Bolt though. And I have to say that I was really impressed that Chevy, you know, a, a not an electric car company, obviously a car, a company with a lot of experience with hybrids, the Volt and others, but um, pulled, pulled off a car with, you know, all the, it checks all it checks all the boxes in my opinion it's it's practical it's well made it drives well it has a long range which is you know the thing that tesla is well known for cuz you can buy you can buy a nissan leaf and an e-golf that have good um that have that are great cars but they don't have good range and the leaf in my opinion doesn't drive very well it's more like an appliance. It's like more like driving a Prius. It gets you from point A to B comfortably and safely, but there's no passion there, right? The Golf is a little more passion because it's based on the Golf, and the Golf is a fun car to drive. Um, but the Tesla has always been like, oh my God, driving this car feels so good. And I'm hoping this translates down to the Model 3. And um, and the Bolt has felt pretty good for me. It didn't feel too much like an appliance car, despite the fact that, unfortunately, it kind of looks like one, right? Like it's, very much that kind of like small urban car vibe, like, it, you know, like a little Prius C or like, it's it's kind of like a small hatchback kind of form factor. Um, and I think that's the thing that's going to differentiate, as you said, from the Model 3 is the Model 3 is, um, looks like more like a, a more luxurious sedan, sleeker, lower, mid-longer. Um, it doesn't have a hatch, so it's not as practical. But it has, you know, has Tesla's pedigree. So I think uh, you totally nailed when you said like uh, millennial versus maybe more adult or well, more, millennials more, are more supposed mature to be adults. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I for me, I'll, it's, it's, I'll be honest. A lot, of, a lot of people asking me like why I pre-ordered one. Well, I'm a nerd and I like cars and I'll and it and all that. But mostly, I'm feel like tesla has an edge that nobody else has and even chevy doesn't have chevy could make a, could absolutely copy the model 3 and get into production and do a phenomenal job with it there's no doubt they i mean they they have the resources but what they don't have and that's why i went with tesla is the the network of charging to me i can cross the country in a tesla there's supercharging every two hours you can stop 
and charge your car in 30 minutes anywhere in the U.S. on all the major freeways. Yeah, it's it, a lot of the infrastructure is already there, which is why it's like we, it needs to like I, I, I'll be excited when I start to see those cars in the street. Me too. I mean, it just, it just, you know, I like road trips. I don't want to be stuck just around the city all the time. And so, you know, sure, I'm not going to do a lot of road trips with my Tesla. You well, know. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but um, one of the first, the, the first Chevy Volt, um, I tested it here in New York City, and it was a nightmare. Um, and it wasn't the car's fault, but I, and I don't, I don't know what the infrastructure is like nowadays. I believe it's gotten better. But basically, there were charging ports all over the city in, in garages. Yeah, and you you have to pay to park there. I know. Yes, <laughs> which was it was a disaster. Between you know, at the end, parking in New York City and a lot is is a fortune. Oh, for uh, sure, it's like SF. I know. And 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 it doesn't charge quickly, right? So not no. quickly enough. Um, so it was just it was a, the whole experience was so discouraging. Um, I I really hope things have improved since then. Uh, I would say that, you know, again, this is where Tesla is the edge with the supercharging network. And, and I think that, um, that's kind of part of the reason why I'm interested. And also, you know, like the more adult vibe and it, it looks sleeker and, and of course, performance. I know that Tesla always, uh, I mean, the Model S is wow. Like that's the thing that really impressed me is as a car enthusiast, I was like, okay, this is immediately competitive with the big german sedans the luxury cars like the the mercedes and bmws and audis of uh, the higher end ones um the model s is the existing car uh, and it's like no company in history has pulled this off like made a car and out of nowhere just completely immediately be able to compete with um the establishment and not only that but do it electric and do it right it's like wow right so yeah, I'm a. Uh, I guess I'm a Tesla fan girl. I'm sorry. Oh, that's that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's the, so that's the exciting news for me because, as you know, I keep an eye on car technology a lot. You know, and uh, and seeing them actually make one was like, okay, wow, it's real, it's happening. I don't think I'm gonna get mine for another six months to a year, but that's fine. I can save up for it that way. You know, exactly. <laughs> that's basically what I'm doing. Um. So I can run around to my Bay Area meetings in style or something. <laughs> I don't know. Cool. Instead of burning dinosaurs. Um, although I do like burning dinosaurs, despite the fact that I know it's not right. But You enjoy yeah. it. It's, a, it's, a, it's got it. It's, it's got a different vibe, yeah. you know. There's yeah. something about the smell of oil and gasoline and that noise behind you. Oh, in the case of my car, it's behind me. But, you know, it's like... Yeah, it's it's an experience and growing your own gears. I'm just old school. I don't know. I like as much as I love technology, like people are always like, how can you like all this old car stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. It's it's a different experience. It's kind of like, it's, I don't it's know. Like have you vinyls? <laughs> yeah, something it's about like vinyl. It. Or have yeah. you pulled out a laptop from 1990? It's kind of like this. It's kind of horrible. I don't but know where I find time, one. <laughs> but. In a museum or. In a dump, I don't know. I have a few old laptops here that are still running Linux, okay? Wow. Um, and can browse the web, but it's uh, it's very cool. Like it's like it's it's kind of a part of our heritage, and and I guess I'm getting old and nostalgic or something. Oh, don't I'm get me wrong, it. I love old products. Um, I get excited when I see them. I just I don't remember the last time I saw a laptop from 1990. That's all. Oh yeah, it's hard to find. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I think we've covered everything, and. I really appreciate your insights. I mean, it's it's always good to have, you know, a different perspective on the show because I, I can invite, you know, 
the other tech bloggers that, you know, that's what I love about writing for Chipshake. And I know that I have a very different audience than I normally would. And as a woman myself, even though I'm very masculine and, you know, kind of like interested by all the, a lot of the things that guys would be interested in, I think, I feel like hopefully I'm helping out and giving them a slightly different perspective, you know? Oh, absolutely. You definitely are. And, and we appreciate it. Um, there's the, the, you know, we all got to stick together when it comes to, to women in tech. So absolutely. You, you're totally right. Um, speaking of, do you want to plug yourself, say where people can find your writing and your, yourself online, your Twitter and all that? Oh, chipchick.com. That's, that's all the plug I need to plug. <laughs> oh, really? All right. So you'll find Elena's great stories on chipchick.com and also my review, my phone reviews, uh, every month or two on chipchick.com. And, uh, yeah, and you'll find me on Twitter, uh, at Tankerl, T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character, but drop the vowels. And my YouTube channel, if you want to see some of these Moto phones and Moto mods we just discussed, the Moto Z2 Play and stuff, go to my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Miriam Joire. That's my legal name, M-Y-R-I-A-M-J-O-I-R-E. Go there. And I did a bunch of unboxings and some reviews. Like I reviewed the OnePlus 5, for example, on my channel. So check it out because you, you'll be able to, in addition to Googling these devices, you'll be able to get something a little more personal. Uh, and, and if you like my perspective, you'll get it there. Thanks for being on the show, Elena. It's really a pleasure to have you. Same. Thanks for having me, and and uh, enjoy that Tesla when it eventually shows up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that I'll uh, if you're in town and I have it, uh, you'll get a ride. Oh, um, I'll take you. I'll. I will demand that. You can. I. I would even let you drive it. It's no problem. I think that people need to experience this. Really, really interesting. I, I mean, again, I don't I haven't driven three, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I hope it's at least kind of a, a ninety or eighty percent experience of what the S gives you in a smaller, more manageable, and more affordable package, basically, which I think is what they're aiming for. So, cool. Cool. Well, listen. Thanks again. Um, and uh, stay tuned for next week. We'll I have another awesome guest lined up. So we'll see you then. Bye, everyone. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.